0: All right, keep the Bible open there to 1 Corinthians 3. We're going to walk through this together. Uh, this is a familiar passage uh, to many, the, you know, some water, some planted, and God gave the increase. You probably heard that at some point, um, and oftentimes that is used, uh, this passage is, is used to address issues of, of leadership, and rightly so, because that's what Paul is addressing in this moment. Um, however, we're going we're to look at it uh, from a bit of a a different angle this morning. We're going to take the principles that Paul lays before us uh, in addressing this issue and apply it to our lives more broadly and not just about pastoral, uh, you know, people in pastoral roles, but with our life as a church. And, and, and here's why I think we can and, and, and we will do that. A, we're going to talk about how you guys should view your pastors uh, next week. We're going to talk about that with the first part of chapter 4. Um, and so, so that's, just know that that's coming. We'll sort of reference some of this back. And, and then, secondly, where Paul is heading with this, because in this passage, in this first part of, of uh, First Corinthians in general, what he's addressing is is uh, issues of division that are rooted in pride. Okay, and so that's what he's what he's headed at, and that's and he's going to sort of cover different things along the way. Um, and so, and where he's headed with that is actually to sort of remove pastors and leaders off of a pedestal. And put them back down, you know, on the same level as all of the rest of the church. And at the same time, where the rest of the church has sort of diminished themselves, if they don't have that role, he's going to bring them up. And so he's going to be bringing balance into it's not just about, um, you know, this clericalism of, of, okay, you guys hire me or you hire us a staff to do the ministry, but rather... Uh, you, you, you call, God calls us to equip the saints to do the ministry that we all uh, the priesthood of the believers mean that it, it's that i 'm in no different position before the lord i 'm no more justified, no more holy than than you all are because we all have the same spirit within us, and so that 's what 's called the priesthood of the believer, meaning we can all go directly to God. On our own behalf and on the behalf of others, you don't have to come to me and confess your sins, and me go to God. That's no longer true, right? And so, because of that, we all have this ministry and this call, and it's where Paul is headed eventually. So, we're going to look at the principles that he lays out to address these issues of division and apply them to our life more broadly uh, for for our own time and how we're spending our efforts and what we're investing in, in our, with our lives. And so, uh, and then, and then, lastly, I think it's, it's relevant because the same principles, the same tools that you use to address division issues when they are present, right? When you have division issues, you have to bring unity, you have to bring clarity to the people. The same tools that you use in those moments are the same tools that you want to use and apply to prevent division issues. And so for us, okay, we're not necessarily in that moment where there's this tension between, you know, me and another pastor or following that. I don't think that exists here, but okay, but how do we apply that to the life of a church so that we don't have people getting off mission and start you know, rallying and circling up about secondary things and causing division issues. And so I think uh, it's relevant that, that we, we look at what Paul does. So what he's going to do in this passage is he's going to remind the church. So he's, he's, he's writing this letter to a church. He's going to remind the church of, of, I think, three primary things that we're going to look at today. First of all, he's going to remind the church of our role. What is, it, what is our role in what God is doing through history. And then secondly, he's going to remind the church of, of God's blueprint. What is it God is doing? What, what exactly is he building? What should we be working on? Uh, and then lastly, our reward. What is it our reward as, as we participate with God in that? So if you would, look back at this passage with me from 1 Corinthians chapter 3. Um, and let's look at this together. So the first thing he's going to remind us of is our role. So as he comes out of this uh, pre- Pretty challenging text last week where he basically said, hey, y'all are continuing to act like immature infants where you're only on the milk. You're, you're acting merely human. you got the Spirit of God in you, but you're not leaning into the Spirit of God. Instead, you're just acting merely human and like infants. you are not gone into the deeper things of of the faith. And that's what's led you to get excited about this pastor or that pastor and get divided on those things. Paul says, that, that, you've, you've missed the whole point. So coming out of that, he's going to then in verse five say, "What then is Apollos?" So that's one of the leaders that the people were were following. So Paul planted the church, and then he left. Apollos came in, and these people were real excited about somebody who could talk eloquently, right? So sort of a, I've compared it to sort of the TED Talk culture of, of our day, where people are really excited about you know somebody that can give a good presentation. They weren't super even concerned if it was real or or true, just if they could you know speak well and capture an audience, that was what they valued in this world. And so uh, Apollos comes along and he's a good teacher. Uh, and so people start saying, well, I'm, I'm, I'm a part of Apollos' church. And others like, well, no, we, we follow Paul. And others like, no, we follow Jesus. And others, we follow Peter. And, and Paul is confronting all of this. And so he's going to dive down deeper and say, what then is Apollos? If, if this is all true and th- those things don't matter and what really matters is you, you know, growing in your own maturity, he says, verse five, what then is Apollos and what is Paul? We are servants through whom you believed as the Lord assigned to each. So they're merely servants through whom the church has believed. So it's just the people that God has put in in place to share the gospel so that that church could believe. And Paul says, I planted, I planted the church. Apollos came along and watered. But if it's grown, if it's done anything good, it is God who has done that. Verse 7, so neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything, but only God who gives the growth. He who plants and he who waters are one, and each will receive his wages according to his labor, for we are God's fellow workers. You are God's field or God's building. So the first thing he's going to remind us of is just whether that be my role, whether that be your role, it is secondary to what God is doing. God is accomplishing the work of reconciliation. He is He is about reconciling the broken world to himself in the cross of Jesus Christ. That is what he's doing. He has come. He has made a way. He entered into our mess. He was born of a virgin. He lived a a sinless life, the one that we couldn't live. He gave his own life willingly on the cross so that he could conquer death because he did not. The death had no hold on him. So when he was there, he was there uh, in the grave for three days and then he burst back out of that in victory. And in that, he has made a way for sinful man to be reconciled to a holy God. That is what God is doing. And then he sends out his disciples into all the ends of the world. And he says, go and tell, go and proclaim my kingdom and make disciples of every tribe, tongue, and nation. That is what he is doing. That is the work that he is about. Now, He doesn't need us. He could do that. He could show up in a moment and make that message clear and cause everybody that he wants to repent and deal with everybody else. He could do anything he wants. He doesn't need us, but he chooses to use us. He chooses to to send us. Church, we are God's plan A for this world to be reconciled. You realize that? And there is no plan B. Like he has made us as his people to be the ones to advance his kingdom. It's incredible. And we take it for granted, right? We, 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 We don't Dwell on this and meditate on this, and apply this to our own life, and sometimes, even if we do, we think, okay, yeah, the church in general, or you know the, the leadership will do that, no, no, like you are the church we 'll we'll see that in a minute paul 's going to make that emphasis, but our role is to is to plant our role is is to water to work the soil, to do all we can, so we share the gospel, we serve out of love, we show up for cross-recovery meetings, we say yes to an orphan that needs a home, we, we labor, and we, we love on our neighbor, and we just show up, and we keep doing those things, and that is all planting seeds, and, and speaking the gospel truth, and then we, we keep loving, and keep watering, and, and, and when God is ready, he gives the increase. So I always like to share the story. If you know Paul, the one that wrote this letter, his name used to be Saul. And his story is quite incredible. You can find it in the early chapters of Acts, particularly 7 through 9. Um, whenever Paul was named Saul, he was persecuting the church. And by that, I mean he was killing Christians. And there was a moment whenever Paul was they were about to kill this guy named Stephen. And they let Stephen talk. And Stephen gave a gospel, like he dropped a gospel bomb. Like he shared all of the truth of who Jesus was. And Paul sat there and heard it. But you know what? Paul didn't believe in that moment. He didn't believe. In fact, he doubled down and kept, he went and got more legislation to do more persecution to the church. So he hears it from Stephen, but he doesn't believe and he goes on about his business of persecuting the church. And then it, but here's the thing. So in that moment, I think Stephen planted the seed. And we don't know. Saul may have heard it before, but at least in that moment, a seed was planted. Maybe he was watering. We don't know. But he was doing something in the, in the life of what God was doing in, in Saul. And, and then God shows up to Saul when he's riding on his his animal on the way to another city to persecute some more Christians. God shows up, knocks him off his horse, blinds him, and reveals himself to him. And that is the moment when, when, when God reveals himself to Saul. That is the moment whenever Saul is saved. But then he sends him to another guy, another guy to to, to kind of follow up and disciple him. And so we're used on either side of that. So Stephen and then this other guy, they're, they're used in the, in the life of Saul, but, but God is the one who actually did the saving of Saul. Does that make a little bit of sense? That's just one story of how God uses us to plant, to water, to till the ground, to work it, and then he gives the increase. So that's our role in what God is doing, and he is, is planning to do it throughout the whole world, and that's sort of the next point. He's going to remind them of his blueprint. What is it that they are, that God is building? So sometimes it's easy for churches to kind of have mission creep, and we forget what God has called us to do, and we start to kind of get off on our own, you know, little, little, tangent and trail and plan or whatever and God's and Paul is reminding them of of what exactly it is that God is doing it's not about them coming in and getting saved so they don't have to worry about going to hell when they die and then getting their social status and their their identity from following this good preacher this good teacher or whatever Paul says no no no, that's all you've missed the point what God is doing is he's building something and we get to be a part of it Paul says that that's true of us the pastors me and Apollos that we're, we're 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 building that and we get to be a part of it, too. So let's look in, in verse 10. Or actually, he starts that in verse 9. He says, For we are God's fellow workers, and you, church, are God's field or God's building. So he's using two analogies. One is of a field and harvesting it, planting it, sowing it. And Now he's going to shift into another analogy of God's building. So these are, these are uh, illustrations that Paul is using to help us understand what God is doing in the life of the church. So verse 10, he says, According to the grace of God given to me. So Paul's saying, listen, God called me, and it's by his grace alone. And, and because he called me and because of his grace, I, I, I planted this church. He was the one that, that, that started the church in Corinth. And he says, like a skilled master builder, I laid a foundation. So Paul says, when I came to Corinth, there was no church there. And I showed up, and I started preaching the gospel. And people started getting saved. And as more people got saved, we formed a church. We formed a gathering. We appointed leaders. And we continued to grow the church. And he says, that, that's what I did. I started this thing, and I laid this foundation. And he says, now someone else is building on it. And that's, like Paul left on purpose. They didn't kick him out. Paul went on to plant another church, right? And and he's okay with that. He's not worried about, oh, you know, somebody else is getting my glory. He said, no, no, no. I planted, I I laid the foundation. I planted the church. I'm moving on. I'm going to plant more. I'm going to build more foundations. That's his role. That's his his deal. That's what God has called him to do. And he's going to call other people to come along and finish the work. And so he's saying, hey, I planted, you know, I laid the foundation. Someone else is building on it. And he said, let each one take care how he builds upon it. So he's saying, you guys are real worried about this preacher, that preacher, whatever. He says, they need to be really, really careful as they're entering into ministry. They need to be really, really careful about how they're leading God's church. Listen, sometimes it can seem like a, a, and it is a noble calling, and it can seem like a place of privilege to be a pastor or be an elder. You need to know that that Hebrews says that that we as elders are going to stand before the Lord and give an account, to be judged, to give an account for how we cared for you all. That is a sobering reality. Okay, and so what Paul's saying is they need to be careful what they're contributing to the the life of the church, how they're building on it. They need to be careful Let each one take care how he builds on it. Verse 11, for no one can lay a foundation other than that which which is already laid, which is Jesus Christ. So what he's saying is if they're going off and starting their own thing, then that, we're not talking about, like, we've gone to a totally different deal. If they're talking about the church of Jesus, then the foundation is always Jesus. It's not social justice. It's not this ministry. It's not that ministry. It's not, it, it, none of that. It, it is, it, the foundation has to be on Jesus and Jesus alone. Now, if anyone builds, verse 12. Actually, let's skip now. We're going to come back to 12. Uh, so he's talking about what it is he's building. In verse 16, he says, Do you not know that you, you, church, You, filling your name here, do you not know that you are God's temple and that God's Spirit dwells in you? Do you not know that, Journey Church, that you are God's temple? It ain't this pole building, right? It's you. It's you all. The Holy Spirit dwells in you. And when, when we gather together, we have this concentrated glory of the Holy Spirit that is here, present in the believers. Like, you are God's temple. He dwells in you. In verse 17, he says, If anyone destroys God's temple, the church... God will destroy him, for God's temple is holy, and you are that temple. So here's what he's, he's reminding them of: what exactly is going on here? It's not about this social status, this pursuit of this, pursuit of that. He says, "No, no, no. God is building for Himself a temple." Now, for these pe- for the Jews in particular, but for anybody like to, to, to have the privilege of being involved in building the temple is a really, really, really big deal. So if you know some of the Old Testament, uh, you know stories, God used David to. Um, establish his kingdom, Israel, in a mighty way. David conquered, conquered the Philistines and other enemies and established the rule of God's people on earth. And it was an incredible, incredible thing that, that, that God used David. But he, David wanted to build God a temple, and God said, no, I've got something better for you, but also you can't do that because you've shed too much blood. I'm going to let your son do that. And so Solomon becomes the one that is allowed to build God's temple. And he makes a big deal about it. It's, it's a big deal throughout Scripture that he's the one that is allowed to, to do that work. Why because that 's where god 's going to dwell in that day that like in that day it wasn 't the people god didn 't dwell in all the sinners why because jesus hadn 't made propitiation for our sin he hadn 't made a way for the Holy Spirit to come and dwell in us so, so God dwelled in the temple and people and the priest had to come and intercede and throw blood on the altar and ask for forgiveness annually and then more regularly to, to be able to be in the presence of god that 's no longer true, but in this day that was where god his presence was going to dwell there you had to come there to the temple to worship God. It's not like our day. So it was a big deal to build the temple of God. It was a huge deal. And here's what, what Paul is saying. Don't forget what God's doing here. If you're worried about this guy and that guy and this thing, and there's division here, you forgot the magnitude of what God is, is up to. You've lost sight. you you imagine that you get a call from somebody, that you get headhunted, and they call you and they say, hey, you want to be a part of this really incredible project. You want to be a part of building something that will literally last forever. You want to be a part of, of something that—that that I mean, even after eternity is our present, that it'll still be there. Do you want to be a part of this, the greatest building project the world has ever known? We need people like you. Wouldn't that be an incredible call? And, and it might say, "Listen, nobody may ever know your name." Right. They may not ever know that you laid a brick on that, or that you designed a system in that, or that you answered the phone so that other people could. Nobody may ever know the role you played. But do you want to be a part of that legacy? Do you want to be a part of building something that will last forever? Wouldn't that be an incredible call? Here's what God is doing. He's saying, I'm going to build a people for myself. That's what he's been doing all throughout Scripture. We talked about it in Kingdom Come, at length. God is building a kingdom of priests, a people For himself, where he will dwell, where he will be present. So the rest of the world could say, hey, you want to know where God is? He's right here and amongst these broken people. And it's not them that you should look to, but it is their God that you should look to. And he's doing this incredible work. And he's saying, this will last forever. My church will last forever. When Jesus comes, he starts to minimize and point people away from the actual physical temple that was in Jerusalem. And he starts to point them to himself. Because what he's doing is not about this physical temple. That's why we're able to meet in a pole barn with no apologies, right? Like, we don't even care. It ain't pretty. But that ain't where the glory is. The glory is here. And you all, this room being filled up with people who are, who are uh, bearing the Holy Spirit in their souls, in their hearts. That's where the glory is. And listen, that will last all the way through eternity. Okay, so here's what he's saying. The foundation, so we're gonna look a little bit more at that when we get to our reward, but he's saying, don't forget what God is building is a temple of people of, of his own. So when the Bible says to make disciples, sometimes that feels like, like this chore, like I gotta convince people to do something that they really don't wanna do, like it's one of those direct sale schemes. You know what I mean? Like if you really wanna make money, you've gotta convince seven other people to sell that same product and throw parties and, and have their friends throw parties. and You know what I mean? And it feels like this chore. It's like, Okay, if I can do that, if I can convince them to do something they don't really want to do, then there's a reward there. But but, but that's not the idea that we should have about making disciples. That sort of has this stigma in our mind. But when, when, when he talks about making disciples, he's talking about setting captives free. He's talking about stories like what we just heard. He's talking about calling people from death to life. He's talking about telling people that their chains of, of addiction, their, their bondage can be broken. He's talking about seeing people come from death to life, to realizing all that God has made them to be, to, to seeing them transform from the inside out, to seeing them have the fullness of life that God intended for them. That's what he's talking about. That's a different deal. Hey, do you want to know where you can find forgiveness of sins? Do you want to know where you can find abundant life and peace in spite of your circumstances? Do you want to know that? It's like a beggar telling a bunch of other beggars where they can find bread. Like that's that's what it is to make disciples. It's to tell people where they can find life, and that life is found in Jesus. And that's what he's doing. That's the work, what he's doing. And, and he says and he tells us what he, he tells us what it's going to look like. He says there's going to be a day. Revelation 5 and 7, and really lots of places, says there's there's going to be a day where there's going to be people from every tribe, tongue, and nation gathered around the throne of Jesus, worshiping him. That's what Jesus is doing. He's He's reconciling the world to himself. Not everyone, but someone from every tribe, tongue, and nation. There will be plenty who refuse him, and they'll have to suffer in hell. But he says, I am going to rescue for myself a people from every tribe, tongue, and nation. And that's what he has sent the church to be about. That's what he's building. And Matthew 24, 14 says, Whenever that's done, like when the gospel's preached to all the nations, then the end will come. Like that's what he's doing. He made it, he's made it, it's not all that mysterious. He's made it really clear. I'm going to get for myself a people from every tribe, tongue, and nation. And when that happens, when I'm content, when he's made all of his enemies a a footstool, then Jesus is going to return, right? And then what what he says what what he says in Verse 12 says, Now if anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, hay, wood, or straw, each one's work will become manifest on the day we'll disclose it because it will be revealed by fire. The fire will test what sort of work each one has done. So we're going to talk a little bit more about that in a minute. But what he's saying there is there's going to come a day, like when, when he's finished rescuing for himself a people from every tribe, tongue, and nation, then he's going to come. And on that day, he's going to come bring with him a fire that will not consume the earth and, and like, you know, and be like discarded, but instead will be like a refining fire that is breathed over the earth and all that is not a part of God's kingdom, all that is not submitted to His will, all people that have not bowed their knee to Him as Savior, all evil and injustice and you know anything that is counter to God's kingdom will be burnt up and consumed, and what is left will be a refined. Kingdom, a refined gift of what God has been working on from the beginning, and there, that will be the place where heaven comes then and dwells on earth. God there with with His people, and that will be the new heaven and the new earth where we will spend eternity with God. So what He's saying is, there's this fire coming. So the foundation has to be Jesus. It's always Jesus. And then you have to know that in the end, there's going to be this fire that comes and it's going to reveal whatever work you have have accomplished, whatever work you've done. So real quick, so the the foundation has to be Jesus. And that means as we work for for Christ, that means we have to work from that foundation and toward that foundation. What I mean by that is we are not working to earn our salvation. Okay, as we work for Jesus, it it is not to earn anything from Jesus. We are working from the foundation of the gospel that Jesus Christ, he has made us, Right with God. He has given us salvation. It doesn't matter what we do or what we accomplish. We'll never be righteous in the eyes of God outside of Jesus Christ making us righteous. And so that's the foundation we work from. We don't work to earn it. We work from it because he's given it freely. So we work from the foundation of the gospel of Jesus, and we always work toward that. What I mean is as we do work, and we should do good work. We just called you to engage in a good work of cross recovery. But as we do that, if it doesn't lead toward the cross of Jesus Christ, then it's incomplete. Is it good that Autumn is no longer addicted? Absolutely. Amen, right? Is it good that we've got some kids in our church that are in a home where they didn't used to have a home? Is that good? Absolutely, that's good, right? Is it good that some of you are just doing better in your life than you were before? Absolutely. Absolutely. But what we're really praising God for, not just that she's no longer addicted, but that she's been made a child of God, that she's been adopted by the King of Kings, that she has been sealed with the Holy Spirit, no longer to relapse into condemnation because he alone holds her salvation and he alone holds her in his hand and she can count on that. That is what we're celebrating. So we work from the cross of Christ, but we also work toward it. So yes, we do justice. Yes, we serve with these people. But it's always longing for them to see Jesus. And then last thing that he reminds us of. So our role, his blueprint, where is he headed? What's he doing? The last thing he's going to talk about is our reward. So this gets a little complicated. But verse 12, we, we read it well ago, but I want to read it again in this. So what he's saying is as we work, as we labor, there's there's actually... We're, we're earning something. And, and this sort of starts to connect some dots. You've heard Jesus say, not to store up for yourself treasure here on earth, where moth and rust destroy, but instead to store up treasure in heaven, right? What does that mean? Has that ever, ever been confusing to other people? Like, I don't, I don't know what that means, but okay, like we'll just kind of try it. He's going to start to, I think, form that out. It's still a really complicated thought, and I'm, I'm going to be stepping out a little bit away from what's clear in the Bible and what I'm, I'm going to be sort of speculating a bit, and, sh- and I'll share that with you. But But he's going to start to form that up a little bit. So in verse 12, He says, if anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, or straw, so what he's saying here is you're going to be contributing to the work of of what God is doing. You're going to be contributing to something. You're going to be building some kingdom. You know that? Just whatever you're doing, however you're spending your life, you're going to be building some kingdom, period, right? That's just true. And And what he's saying is there'll be a day when it'll be revealed what exactly you were building. Were you building your own deal? Were you building your own prestige and name? Or were you working to glorify God. And, and there's the difference he's going to say is that some are building with precious stones, gold and silver. Those things are going to outlast that fire, right? When that fire comes, that's what's going to be left. But if we spend our life chasing trivial things, if we spend our life chasing material things, if we spend our lives chasing our own agenda, our own success, when, listen, when Jesus comes back, none of that's going to matter because none of that's going to be present. It's going to be burnt up. That's the straw and hay and wood that he's talking about. Those are combustible. They're not going to last through the fire. So what he's going to start to challenge us is to be thinking about how we spend in our life? How are we investing? What are we, what are we building toward? It says each one's work, verse 13, will become manifest for the day will disclose it because it will be revealed by fire and the fire will test what sort of work each one has done. If the foundations or if the work that anyone has built on the foundation survives, so the foundation is going to survive. Jesus is going to be there. His church, his building, what he's doing will be there. If your work has been along with Jesus, then it will survive and he and you will receive a reward. That's what he says in verse 14. If it survives, then he will receive a reward. Verse 15, if anyone's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, though he himself will be saved, but only as through fire. So what he's saying is it's possible to be a Christian and not actually be doing anything for the Lord. And that doesn't mean you're going to, you know, be not allowed in heaven. It just means that like, you're going to be saved, but just kind of through the fire. Like, you're going to be all that's left. And you, you won't have much to kind of look around and see that, that God has used you to contribute. But for those of us that have invested in and worked along with Jesus into what he's doing, there will be a reward. And this is mysterious. But there's going to be a reward. And so what does that look like? And here I want to, I want to take a shot at just explaining this briefly. And, and here's here's what, I, again, it's not about, we're not going to be walking around going, oh man, look what I did, you know, showing off our skills in heaven. It's all going to be about Jesus. Always about Jesus. And, and and certainly once we get to heaven, nobody's going to be impressed by anything that you or I did. We're impressed by Jesus, period. But I think there's something that, that we get to celebrate just a little differently, that we get to rejoice just a little differently when we played a part in it. So just, just, just briefly, here's here's how I sort of connect these dots a little bit in my own life. So if, if I get to actually work on something in my own house, if I get to, um, you know, do the remodel myself or I, I, I kind of like half built a kitchen table, right? So Tim gave me a top and I built the base. But you know what? Like it took me a little while. That's not my skill set, but I did it. You know what? Every time I see that table, I rejoice just a little differently than I did for the pieces of furniture I bought. Does that make sense? I have a little sense of pride. When I do modifications to my own Jeep and I get in it and I love it, I have a little, little sense of, of pride. It's just a deeper level of enjoyment, right? Could I have paid somebody to build my own table and still enjoy that table? Sure. But because I did it, I, I get to, I get, I'm just reminded by that regularly. And, and so I, I think that that's sort of what it's like when we see things that have lasted through the refining fire on that day, when we see people that we helped bring to the Lord, like I believe that we're going to experience a deeper joy at that participation, right? At what God has done, right? It won't be, oh man, look what I did. It'll be, oh man, God did that and He used me, and it'll be this this deeper joy. It was God's work, but He used us. and And so for me, I think I think what what that'll be in heaven. And again, I'm I'm you need to know I'm sort of stepping away from the word here. This is not a super clear in the word. This is this is Jordan. Uh, this is Jordan kind of going where I, where I what I believe. I don't think I'm out of line, but I'm just I'm telling you, it's not authoritative. But, but here's what I think that'll look like for me in my own life. I think in heaven, that'll be the people that I explicitly share the gospel with. Three of my best friends that the Lord used me in their life, not just me, right? I planted and others watered, but I got to see them come to the Lord. And when I see them in heaven, there's going to be a, a joy in my soul that, that I'm going to see lots of other people in heaven too, right? But they're going to be different there. I'm going to rejoice just a little deeper not in a look of me look at me kind of way right that's a perversion of the whole deal but in a look what god did and man i loved being a part of that deal does that make a little bit of sense but it isn't the only, only the things that I played an active or direct role in, right? So some of you are like, man, just, I'm a more behind-the-scenes kind of ministry person, right? I, I'm not the kind of person that's going to be you know, sharing. You know, that's just way out of, like, I, I don't know. I don't know. So am I going to have any reward? Well, it's not just those things. And so if I can use one illustration back to sort of my own personal or material stuff, I, I think there's other things in my house that give me a different sense of joy. Not because I built them but because I sort of know the cost behind them and I know the part of it. So, so we, we, have, uh, we have a couch that, that we wanted to buy for years. So we had this sort of room in our house, uh, our last house, that was weird and laid out weird. And we had in our mind that, that this, this particular type of couch, this sectional, would be what really defined our room and made our room better. And we were excited about it. But it, it cost way more money than we had. So we couldn't just buy it. So we had to save. We had to save. We had to save. Right? And we had to, we had to say no to other things and put money in that. And there, there came a moment where we were actually able to buy that couch. And you know what? I remember like every morning I'd get up and I'd see that couch. I'd have a little, bit? like I'd rejoice a little. You know that feeling? Am I just weird? It was just me. You have this sense of satisfaction that's just a little bit deeper, right? Because the other piece of furniture in my house, somebody probably gave us or we got them at a thrift store, right? There's a different level of accomplishment there. Like I'm proud that I didn't spend money on those things, but I don't take any real joy in them. Right, I think the same will be true. Even though I don't act, I haven't actively participated in every person that's going to be in heaven. I think there's going to be things that that I'm going to be allowed to see that I'm going to rejoice in a different level because I know the cost behind them. Okay, so for me, this is uh, there's a ministry in St. Louis called the Covering House that that I don't play any active part. I never have played an active part in it. But when we lived up there ten or eleven years ago. Um, our community group got to help start. It was one of the guys in our community group's idea to do a 5K fundraiser to help them raise funds to do the ministry that they're doing. They do ministry to people who have been sex trafficked. They they bring them in a safe house, and they bring healing around them, and they give them job training and try to bring you know wrap them in gospel truth to send them back in, into, into life. It's a beautiful ministry. I've never played a single role in it. But you know what? I know that it's doing great work, and every time I hear about it or I remember it, I go, oh, yeah, I got to... Like, i had got to play a small part in it. I, I remember giving up my Saturday. I remember, you know, serving drinks. I remember planning those fundraisers and calling people. I remember that. So I take some joy in that. And I think there's, there's going to be layers like that to what God has done and the ways that we've directly and indirectly been a part of it that will increase our reward. Okay, as we close, I want to... I want to paint just a couple pictures and just double down on that imagery just, just a little bit. And, and, and the first um, it, it is not an attitude that I'm saying exists in our church. I'm not, I'm not saying that. Uh, I believe that for the most part, man, we have a really engaged church, and I'm really, really grateful for that. So while there may be points that you know for us to grow in, by and large, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not trying to say this is you. I'm just trying to paint two different pictures to sort of illustrate the way that we live right now and the things that we give ourselves to are going to matter in eternity, okay? So I'm just going to sort of paint two different pictures. Goodness, this image of Judgment House, if y'all ever went to one of those, right, where they walk through the life of two different people, and then they show you in heaven. That's not what I'm trying to do, but that's, I'm going to be distracted because of that now. But, but anyway, so I want you to imagine with me that, that, that you are someone who spends your life here attending church and supporting it, you know, you kind of support the, the ministry whenever you like what they're doing, right? You like the direction they're going, you know, you'll give some money or whatever. But then if you don't, you know, you kind of hold that back and maybe you're criticizing a, a little bit. And you attend pretty faithfully, right? But it really doesn't change much about your own life. Right? So you keep pursuing the things that the world values. You know, you, you, you give a little... You give a little bit of money, but if anything, you know, because you got your priorities over here, right? you gotta, you got to have, you know, this house and these cars or whatever. So, you know, you give what, what's left, but you kind of got your mind fixed on these other things materially that the world says you should value. And so the church, you know, God kind of gets these leftovers. But I give a little. Uh, besides that, you know, the church, you know, has money anyway, right? Someone else has given more than I could, so it's not going to make much of a difference. That's sort of the, the perspective that, that this person had. Uh, that person, you know, we, we don't serve much. Because, well, we, you know, we just really don't have time. And when I come to Sunday, I just want to enjoy. I just want to enjoy the service, right? Besides, they, they've got plenty of volunteers, right? They don't need me. We don't spend much time engaging people about our faith outside of the church because, uh, you know, occasionally we'll tell other Christians, other people that are believers, that they should come try our church because of A, B, or C. Like, they might like it for these reasons. And that's good. But as far as pursuing people who don't know the Lord, man, that's just not my thing, right? That's for the ministers and the missionaries. And besides, man, if that whole election or predestination thing is true, won't they get saved anyway? Right, whether I've got whether I do anything or not. I'm not going to put myself out there like that. If they ask me, then I'll tell them they can come to church with me. But otherwise, I'm just not engaging. When, when church, when the church talks about ministries that we can get involved in, like Cross Recovery or other. Other things, mentoring or spending time with veterans who, who don't have any family members left or, or meeting with prisoners who are about to be released back into the, the society you know, and want to turn their life around or, or fostering or adopting or serving those that are doing those things. I don't really like those type of services because they kind of make me feel guilty, right? So I try to avoid those days. That's just not what I'm here for, right? So this is that, that sort of person. I think you'd get the idea. Right, that that's kind of how we approach life, and we may spend years doing church that way and doing life that way. Just going about life the way we were before. I'm going to my, going to my work. I'm, maybe I'm even living a life of integrity. But, but church is just kind of, you know, I don't, I don't want to get too engaged. So I want you to think about that. What happens on the day for that, for that person? The day that Paul references here when the fire comes to burn up was not of the Lord. What happens on that day? Does that person go to hell? Not if they truly believe in Jesus, right? They're, they're going to get a reward. They're going to come into heaven and it's going to be awesome. They're not going to be disappointed. But, but here's the deal. They're not going to have like anything to kind of look around and, and celebrate and they're a part of. It's just, just sort of like, you know, they, they just got there by the skin of their teeth. By, by, by the fire, they were saved, but they don't have much else to sort of rejoice in. How much of what somebody in that position has invested in is going to still be there? Because that's the thing. We can invest in things that are still going to be in eternity. How much of that is going to be true of of someone who's sort of approached things that way? Right? Because if you just went to church because of your preferences, like, here's the deal. When you get to church, like... Everything's going to be upgraded, right? There's a whole, there's a whole. It's not contemporary service or this, pre, you know, this guy's in those clothes, closed and they do this music. It's a whole different service up there, right? And you're not going to pick your guy whether he's looking like this or looking like like because why? Because an angel is leading worship, right? And and, and they're, they're not asking you what's like. They're just they're singing what they're, they're just having this response of worship and it's this incredible moment. Like so, the church the way that you were used to that, that doesn't really exist anymore. Yes, worship exists. Yes, you know God's word exists. Those things, but. You know, the things you were valuing before, that, that's, that's gone. And there are people that you went to church with that are there, and that's great. But they knew the Lord before you met them, right? So you, you see the impact of the ministries that you had heard about, and they had invited you to serve in. And you see the people that are there as a result of that. You see the justice that was served by Jesus. And all this is good, and you will rejoice. I, I don't think you'll feel any moment of disappointment because your entrance into heaven isn't about your works, right? That is why it says in verse 17 that they will be saved through fire. They, they will last because that is the Lord's work to save their soul, right? It's, we don't earn our way into heaven by doing any of this. I want that to be clear. But we're talking about a deeper reward once we're there. So you won't be denied heaven if you've trusted Jesus as your Savior. It's possible to be a Christian and not contribute anything to the, ki- the, the kingdom cause, but your reward will be just that. You will res- re- have received the reward of your labors because you will have enjoyed them, the material things, or success here, but they won't be present anymore. So again, it's not that you earn your spot. The reward isn't like that. But what he is saying is that if you have spent your life building up treasure in heaven, you have spent your life doing what Jesus has done and called you to do, then there will be a reward. So I want you to look at it this way. What if you get to heaven? It's a different person. It's the other side of the story. What if you get to heaven and all of a sudden people are greeting you and thanking you? Some of them are obvious because they're the people, like I said, that that you actually played an active role in their life, right? You remember sharing the gospel with them, so you hug them, and your joy is overwhelming. But others you don't even remember so well, right? But people start to walk up and hug you and tell you that, hey, you don't know me, but you were the first person that I saw the, the day that I came back to church after spending years in addiction or the first time I ever came to church at all and I wasn't sure if I believed in God. You opened the door for me, and you smiled at me. You made me feel like it was okay to be there. Or what if somebody walks up to you and they tell you that, hey, you don't know me, but you worked in Journey Kids. You were a Journey Kids check-in person one day. And, and my mom and dad had came back to church for the first time ever. And you served them and made that a pleasant experience so that they came back. And them coming back led to them hearing the gospel, which led to me hearing the gospel. And I'm here partly because of, of you today. What if they started to say things like that? Or they just say, hey, I never met you directly, but you gave money to a church that supported a foster care ministry called Restore. And because of them, you had a fa- I, I had a family that brought me healing and heard the gospel for the first time because of your contributions to a ministry like that, so thank you. Or what if they said this, hey, you were my mentor when I was a kid, and I didn't even act like I liked you, and my family moved away, and we lost touch, but your kindness kept me going for a few more years until I was able to hear the gospel, and it changed my life. Or what if it's something more personal? What if it's your own family, your kids? Say, hey, Mom, Mom. you dad. done. I know you always felt the pressure to work more so that you could earn more, so you could give us those things. I appreciate that. But what I value most is that you love Jesus. That like you took time to read the Bible to me. Yeah, I didn't have a new car, so what? I had Jesus. Thank you for that. Thank you for keeping to, continuing to point to him even whenever things weren't as luxurious as you thought they should be. And what if somebody says, hey, you never met me, but you walked with my mom through her addiction, and you helped her get me back so that I could be reunited with my family And because you helped my mom. She met Jesus and she told me about Jesus. Or hey, you encouraged some young man in the ministry and he was really zealous and he came and shared the gospel with me while I was in jail. He never met me. Your support for him, your encouragement for him led to me hearing the gospel. Or hey, you supported, you supported a missionary named Diamond. She came to my country with her long hair and learned my language so that she could tell me about Jesus. Thank you. Or you gave money to help some couple adopt and I'm the kid that they brought home and I'd never heard of Jesus in my own country but, but I'm here now. I'm here now worshiping him. Now, do I think heaven will be quite like that? Not really, because I don't think it'll be that, I don't think it'll be nearly that much about us. But I think that somehow, God, God will give us the insight to see the fullness of his plan and what he has been doing and what he has done and why he had us in that season, in that relationship for that, why we went through that struggle, why I went through that diagnosis, why we went through that, terrible, whatever. I think he'll allow us to I think pull back the curtain enough that, that our that our consciousness will be made aware of all that he was doing. And, and in that moment, we will, we, we will begin to rejoice at the way that God has used us. So yeah, I'm taking some liberties in this text and filling in some blanks that the Bible doesn't. But I, but I, and if I've misused it, I apologize. But I feel as though the Bible paints this picture. As you look at Matthew 25 and and really just lots of other places, I, the Bible paints this picture at least somewhat like this. So while it may be a bit heavy on the part we play. The point isn't to get us to earn anything by our good works, but rather to build and to contribute to what God is doing that will last forever. And to know that we have a reward, a treasure in heaven that is not able to be destroyed. That's my hope in this. That we would apply our life. So so what's our response? I think for, for many of you, hopefully this is an encouragement to you to keep laboring and keep doing what you're doing to keep putting out that effort to keep laboring even when it's hard to keep going because it matters and the impact will reach eternity for others of us this may be a sobering reality of like you know should should be a call for you to repent and to focus your life toward building God's kingdom instead of your own and for you that there's grace for you to do that today for most of us though I'd say it's somewhere in between I think the call is for us to pause and, and sort of lay out our budget of our life where are we spending our time, our talent, our treasure? Where are we spending our lives? And I want you to just sort of check on your investments, right? I want you to just check on your investments. Where are you headed? What are you doing with all this? Am I spending my life in, in in the way that I want to in light of eternity? At the rate that I'm going now, am I investing more in things that will burn up in wood, hay, or straw, or am I investing in things that will last forever? How can I work more into the latter column? How can I adjust my budget, my life, what I'm doing, how I'm spending my time to get it into the kingdom treasure column? How can I adjust my life toward that end? Listen, I've known people to downsize their houses so they can make a job, or so they could take a job making less money so that they could give more time to mission. I've known people to trade down their cars for the same reason, so they can more faithfully support God's mission. Like, It's not always about money though, right? Oftentimes it's getting rid of some form of of comfort or entertainment so they can serve here or spend time with someone else and say, I'm not going to do this. I'm not going to watch this much TV. Instead, I'm going to give this time to a phone call with somebody in recovery. I'm going to do this. How can we rearrange and rebudget our life to be building in what is going to last, what will be there when the fire comes and we can rejoice in eternity? Let's pray. God, help us. Help us. We are selfish, short-sighted people, and we need your help. Rescue us from our own missions. Give us grace. Give us purpose. And use us for your kingdom. Use us. In Jesus' name we ask it. Amen.